phone like this. Hey. So I'm all good for the quiet section unless my phone would ring. And I'm all good for the shushing unless the shushing was at me. I'm all good for a shush, but if it was coming at me, I'd realise that the culture there is that it had to be quiet, it had to be calm to allow people to be able to concentrate in whatever they were studying or whatever they were researching. But it's funny how in libraries, the culture is always quiet. You know, culture is a very funny thing. I am from an Italian background. When we watch TV and there is a family gathering, I may have mentioned this before, but we don't turn down the TV. We run the TV at maximum. Then if you want to have a conversation, you scream over the top of the TV and then everybody talks at once. And this is how you communicate, you're talking. And then all of a sudden, April came into my life. And I would go to her house for dinner. And in the evening, the family would settle around the TV. And in the ads, they would mute the TV. They would take turns talking. It was quiet. It was subdued. It was not the same culture that I had been brought up in. In my family, if you're into the conversation and, and to show that you're, you're interrupting because, oh, I've got something good to say. In April's family, turns out that's rude. <laughs> in most other families, it turns out that's rude. But what had happened is I had gone from one culture into another culture. And all of a sudden I had realized, hey, this is very different. So I quickly accustomed myself to it. I learned to mute. I learned to wait. And all of a sudden that became second nature to me in that environment that that is the way I was to act. You see, culture is a very interesting thing. It quickly uh, brought to my understanding Proverbs 13.20 when it talks about those who walk with the wise become wise, those the company of fools suffer harm. What it's talking about is you become like the people that you hang out with. The influence of the environment you're in can influence your conduct and who you become. Culture is very important. But often... Cultures can be pressed onto someone, pushed onto someone. They might not fit a certain subcategory of culture. There, there are many different ways uh, at which you can see cultural things taking a hold of a place. You know, it's very interesting. We've had Siraj uh, around lately. And, and the other day, Dan, quickly come up here just real quick. So the other day, uh, in Australia, we have plenty of room, clearly. And the other day I was crossing a road and as I was crossing a road, Sarad from a different culture held my hand. <laughs> now what do you do in that situation when there's plenty of room on the road and there's two males and the guy wants to hold your hand? So what did you do? I said, okay, culturally, if this is what he's doing and, and Greg sort of gave me the nod of approval, I am not a travelled man. This is awkward. <laughs> but this is culture. Thank you, thank you. That was beautiful. It was a moment. I felt like we could go to India together, but I'll stay and you go and we'll Skype when we're there. <laughs> but culture, I want to look at two sides of the story. Both sides of the story is the title I've given. I want you guys, if you could turn with me to Galatians it's, uh, chapter 3. It's an interesting portion of scripture, but I actually want to take it from a different point of view. There's two things within uh, the, this scripture 
uh, there, there is a theme taking place, which I'll speak into. But, but I want to talk about two sides of the story because there's, ca- there's two groups of people in this that I would like to focus on. In this, there is uh, the Galatians, the Gentiles, the new converts, and then there are Jewish missionaries. So they're the two groups that I want to look at. And then Paul is speaking into what's going on in this situation. So let's read Galatians 3 together. I'm going to read verses 1 to 14. And it reads, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by believing what you'd heard? Are you so foolish After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain? If it really was in vain, so again I ask, does God give you His Spirit and work miracles among you by works of the law or by believing what you've heard? So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us. From the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it was written, cursed is anyone who hung, who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus. So that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Dear Heavenly Father, I just pray that you will speak to us all this morning. Lord, I pray that you will use me, Lord, to be the vessel that brings your word, Lord God, we pray. Right now, Lord God, we receive what you have to speak to us today. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen, amen. amen. It's a very interesting situation that's taken place. So at the start of Galatians 1 and 2, Paul is defending uh, his uh, ministry. And now what's taking place in Galatians chapter 3 is something uh, very interesting. So you've got the Galatians and they're the new converts, they're Gentiles. And, and what's happened is you have the, the Jewish missionaries who are receiving pressure from back in Jerusalem to see these new converts be circumcised. So what's happening is in the Jewish faith, circumcision represented uh, being brought into the the, the Abrahamic covenant and the promise of God. And and they wanted to see people circumcised, uh, obey the Sabbath and the food customs. So this is what the pressure is coming from Jerusalem where these Gentiles have experienced 
faith in Christ and been restored because of justification. So, so what's happening is Paul is saying, no, you don't need anything like that. You don't need to have works. You just need to believe in Jesus that he is Lord and that you're saved. And what's happening is he's beginning to dive into it, you see, because Paul, the concept in this is talking about justification. So what justification is, is uh, because of Jesus Christ's work on the cross, when we have faith in him, not only are we forgiven of our sins, but actually we become the righteousness of Christ. We, he, he took our punishment, he took our sins so that we could become the righteousness of Christ. And by faith, we're accepted into the promise of God through Jesus Christ. So what's happening is we know that, that we are justified through faith, but what's happening is these Gentiles have experienced it. They've experienced receiving Christ through faith. And if you read at the top of that in verses 1 to 5, it says they experience miracles. They experience God moving in their midst. They experience receiving the Spirit of God. But now after receiving all of that, now they're trying to add works into the equation. Now they're saying, you, you've, been, you've received Christ, but now you need to add works. You need to be circumcised as well in order to be saved. And what Paul is saying is he, he is going at that argument saying, there is no need. Now on the flip side, what they were saying in that context is they were trying to catch them out and they were trying to say, well, well Paul says that, that if you're saved, you've also got to be baptized. So what we're saying is, well, you're saved, you've also got to be circumcised. But really what was happening is that the Jewish missionaries didn't want to look bad back home in Jerusalem. They didn't want to, they were receiving pressure, they didn't want to look lax, so they were saying we need to get these guys circumcised in order that we look good. But you see, that, that would have isolated them from their community because they would never be fully accepted by Jewish community uh, being, being circumcised but being Gentiles, but then they would isolate themselves from their own community. But, but even beyond all that, it didn't matter because Paul was saying there is no need. You have been justified through faith in Jesus Christ. So it's very interesting that the Jewish missionaries were trying to push a culture onto believers. So they had their cultural beliefs. So now they were trying to draw people away from what they had experienced as the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're trying to add a little bit. We're trying to change a little bit. We're trying to change just a view slightly in order that they could meet a cultural expectation in their society. Very interesting thought, isn't it? Do you know today... We are in a culture that is trying to push expectations onto what we believe. Now, I know this, that Jesus Christ is for everyone. Can I get an amen? It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter who you love. It doesn't matter what you believe. Jesus loves you. He died for your sins. It does not matter uh, your belief system at all, uh, whether you are in gender crisis, whether you are homosexual. It does not matter. Jesus died for you and he loves you. But in the culture that we live in today, they are trying to push cultural expectations onto what we know as the true gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And we need to be able to face these things respectfully and in love. The biggest thing this morning is that we need to lead with love. The testimony needs to be that Christ loved all. We love all. Culture. Determining truth. Not God's authority determining truth. They were so desperate to see them meet a cultural expectation, even though there was no need, even though they didn't need it. They'd been justified through Christ. So my first thought that I want to talk on this morning is that we don't allow secular culture to cheapen or distort our faith. Next slide. Thanks, Sonia. We will face challenges in society today. The number one challenge will be to love people through it genuinely. Paul's opening line is, you foolish Galatians, you have been bewitched. You see, bewitched means charmed, deceived with evil intent, or that they were, they were motivated and swayed by charismatic teaching. They were swayed by the opinions and pressures of the culture around them. They had experienced God and the pouring out of his truth through his spirit and they had seen the evidence of it but yet were beginning to bow to pressures of social requirements. They were believed, they were beginning to be swayed to believe that faith in Christ was not all you need when it is. The Jewish missionaries wanted to impose culture. We live in a society that wants to push that on us. You know, there are many examples. I think in today's modern society, you look at universalism, that a person will, will uh, at some point, everyone will end up in heaven. Many roads to salvation. We know that's not true. You know, gender and sexuality. God made man and woman and he loves all. Equal rights, pro-choice. There are many cultural expectations that are being pushed onto Christians. To submit, you know, I, I, I was inspired by the conduct of Margaret Court. She was humble and she was clear. We live in a culture that we're called to love but not to compromise to. Please hear my heart. God is for everybody but we need to make a stand. We are required to love, but we are also required to confront new challenges with biblical truths. So how do we do that? We lead with love. I think one of the keys is to know the truth. I want to encourage you guys to seek out the Word of God. If there is something that is potentially uh, arising in your community and in, in your world, begin to research it. Begin to dive into the Word of God. Know what you believe. Because if you are prepared, you'll have the ability to continue to move in love instead of fear and insecurity. I know it's not right. I don't know why. And then that intimidation often stops you moving forward. So know what you believe. 
I love Paul's example in the first 14 uh, verses of Galatians is he does three things that, that I want to look at. The first one he does is he looks at their own experience. So in verses 1 to 5, what he does is he says he asks them four questions and, and, and they're, they're directive questions. He's trying to provoke them to the experience that they've had with God. And one of the questions, for example, he says is, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by believing what you'd heard? They had already experienced God and His love. One of the things that, that I live by is this, is that experience will never be at the mercy of an argument. Let, let me explain to you. No one can ever talk me out of faith in God. No argument can sway me. No, I will never be at the submission to an argument. Do you know why? I've experienced Him. I know that I know in my innermost core that he is with me, he is for me, Jesus died for me. And because of that experience that I've had with God, I, I am not swayed by any argument. You see, Paul, first thing, he's speaking into the experience that they've had with God. The second example is that he uses a culturally relevant one. He begins to talk about Abraham. And he says in verse 6, So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And then in verse 8 it says, And gospel in advance to Abraham that all nations will be blessed through you. He picked a culturally relevant example. And then what he did is he highlighted the two differences in, in verses 7 onwards down to 14. It says that he talks about how the law, no one can live up to it. Under the law is a curse, but by faith in Christ we receive the promise. You see, Paul went by experience. He used culturally acceptable examples and relevant examples and then clearly explained the difference. You see, he, his argument was prepared. Now, I'm not saying to go and argue with people. I'm saying to go and love people, but be prepared and know what you believe. If you look at the example of Daniel in Daniel chapter 1, I think he was an incredibly wise young man. And in the, in, in the early chapters of verse number one, you see him. And we've all heard this and it's preached regularly and often and well. But it talks about when the food customs come, he resolved in his heart that he didn't want to defile himself by eating wrong foods. So he goes and he asks the keeper if he can have something else. It reads this, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine and asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in that way. He asked the guard to change his food, but he did it respectfully, but with no compromise. You must be respectful and you can be respectful and have no compromise. Because if you lead with the spirit of love, you can do it. The next thing is that he says, the fruit of your life will be an example to the community because after honouring God, being faithful, you see that at the end of the 10 days, they look healthier, they're better nourished than the young men with the royal food. The results of that was that his consistency was one of his greatest testimonies. It's only going to get harder. This is the reality. And we need to prepare ourselves to love people well. 
to love people well. They're going to be people that are going to come through these doors that, that, that I know will challenge us. Great, because they're coming through these doors. But we need to be prepared to the core of what we believe so that we can represent Christ well. Let your example be one of your greatest testimonies. So this here was the Galatians. They, they were having a culture pushed onto them. We see their side of the story. We see what's going on and we see why Paul is addressing it because it is a core value of what they believe. And there was a cultural pressure to push something onto them. There was these guys that were religious that felt they needed to push something onto them. So I, I want to... I want to look at the other side of the, the story. We've walked a, a period of time now in, in the shoes of the Galatians. I actually want to look at the Jewish missionaries. And this is the statement that I want to say to you. Don't allow religious tradition to affect your mission. I remember being in a church service um, some of you may have heard this story before, but this is when um, God spoke to Pastor Nick about inviting me to come and, and serve with him here. And he was in Geelong and he, he was about to speak. But what had happened is, is there was a homeless man that had entered the church. He was a nice guy. And uh, he had wandered down to the front row because it was available. Isn't it funny how, wouldn't it be awesome one day if there is a random person in the front row that doesn't know? Oh, that would be so good. But what happened, he didn't know. So because he didn't know our religious culture, which religious isn't the, the word I want to look, it's not, but he didn't know church rules, he was answering rhetorical questions loudly and awkwardly. And his laugh was like a like thunderclap, you know, a woo, just like, ha, 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 like it just would come out of nowhere. And everyone was like awkwardly not knowing what to do. Felt God impressing my heart to go and speak to him. Didn't tell me what to say. He said, you need to go and speak to him. So I could have gone up to him and I just could have said, hey, mate, that is not what we do here. First of all, you're in the front row. Second of all, you're being too loud. Third of all, have a shower, please. I could have said that. That's not, that's not, that's not inaccurate. But that's not leading with love. You see, he didn't know the rules. He didn't know what was going on. He was here because he was interested in the man's talk, is what he said. So I went after him, and as I went after him, I felt this overwhelming love come into my heart. And I said to him, hey, I'm Charles. Now, I knew I had to fully commit to the conversation because he did not know to whisper while someone was talking. So we were literally having a conversation. He stood up. And they're okay, we're committed now. Said to him, hey, you look hungry. We've got some food here. Would you like to have something to eat, something to drink? Why don't you come with me and, and let, me, let me get you something to eat? Oh, yeah, that'd be brilliant. I actually offered him something to eat sounds amazing. I offered him a can of Coke and a Mars bar, but that's what I had available. And he was interested in it. 
And when we took him out into the foyer, I had guys waiting to get alongside him, to encourage him, to explain to him, hey, that guy had worked hard on his talk and, and, and what's happening is you're getting all the attention and, and we need to try and give that guy the attention. But if you want to have a talk with him, let's have a conversation after and we'll give you as much time as we have. But for now, why don't you have something to eat and let's come in and sit together and let's try to listen. You see, we'd led with love. He didn't understand the environment, but praise God, he was drawn to it. Don't allow what we've always known to be as right, to be a burden for those who are new believers. As a Christian, we should not push that burden onto anybody, but what we should do is encourage them to strive after God. And as they grow and mature in their relationship with Him, allow the Holy Spirit to bring conviction as we as a community disciple young believers together. There were three things that I feel in my heart that helps push people to a closer relationship with Jesus. The first one, which you've heard me say, I believe we have to lead with love. Love helps you to look at a person as God sees them. Often our impatience and our attitudes will be challenged by new believers who don't know anything. But we know that God loves them and we know that we're called to love others. I think the big one is that, and number two, is that we don't need people to behave before they believe. Pastor Greg says this all the time. I'm in 50-50 agreements with him. He says we need more bags stolen at the church and we need more holes in the walls. Now, I'm 50-50. I've got to figure out how to get You make one hole, you've got to paint a whole wall. It's real difficult. But what that represented was this. If there is a person that is in such a desperate place that they need to steal, they're in a place where they can potentially meet Jehovah Jireh, God the Provider. Or if they're in a place that they are so angry that they're making holes in the walls, they're coming into a place where they have the potential to encounter a God that can give them peace and overwhelm them with His love and His plan and His purpose. We need more people like that in our community. But we have to be prepared to receive them. Could I have Tegan come back? This needs to be a strong culture of our church. Is that we are a community that is forgiven, not perfect. Can I read to you Luke 18? It says this. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you, I'm not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. You see, a tax collector was considered a cheat, a liar, about as far as you could get from righteousness if you were to label a person in their community. And he's saying, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. 
He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Can I try and and give you a a picture of, of this? Geordie, could you come up? Nath, could you come up? Locke, could you come up for a minute? So what's happening in this parable is there's one man saying, I thank you, I'm not like everybody else. I give all I have, I tithe. I'm not an evildoer. I'm not like this tax collector. A person who potentially wouldn't suit the environment of being in a temple. And then there's another person, the tax collector, and he's, he's saying, oh, I feel, you know, so, so grieved at my sin, God, forgive me. Help me to keep living for you. Help me to keep striving. I'm not even worthy to be in here. And I'm distressed, Lord God, at my life, but forgive me. God says that that person is in a better place than the religious one. Because you see, here's the example. Let, let's say that you're God. And I want you to stay here, okay? Just for a minute. It's the moustache that's elevated you above these guys. I'm, I'm just saying. Okay, so you're the cross. You're Jesus. You're, you're forgiveness. You're right standing with God. Now, in the eyes of the culture, you would go, okay, well, here's the Pharisee. So he's closer to God and, and he's a pastor. Got it. You get the, but you get the good one. You win at the end, right? So then what, what do you have is you have a tax collector who couldn't get any further away from God. So you've got the presence of God in the church, presence of God in our life. We've got the Pharisee who, who believes he's close to God. And then you've got the tax collector who society would say is so far from God, really isn't worthy to be here, really shouldn't be here. This is, this is the picture, but this is what's happening. And this is what our community needs to be. You see, what happens is because of the Pharisee's attitude, that they're actually, they're heading away from God. But what's happening is because of the tax collector's humility, he's moving closer to the gospel. So at the end of it, who is in a better place? The person that humbly comes after God or the person that judges? We need to be a community that pushes all towards God and His Spirit. Not one that judges others, but one that sees people here and sees that we are not a community that is perfect, but we are a community that all is forgiven. Wherever you are, whatever your journey, we are all broken, but we are forgiven. People on drugs, if they're on a journey and they're heading towards God, let's champion them. People who are homeless, people who have relational turmoil, homosexuality, people of other beliefs. If they are being drawn to this place, we are to love them and we are to encourage them to push towards Jesus because we're all in the same boat. We're all broken. Why I wanted to preach this this morning is that there are two sides to the story. We have to make sure that we don't submit to the culture of the world, but we need to make sure that we are a community that doesn't force religious traditions on people, but rather a relationship with Jesus Christ. We have to be ready to lead with love, arms wide open. 
Christ died so that we could be set free, but Christ died so that all could be set free. Our job is to love them as they come through these doors, whatever they look like. And I pray and declare that, Lord, this place will be full of people who need you. And Lord God, this place will be full of people ready to love them. And this place will be full of people ready to go the mile, walk along people, walk with them as we push them all towards Jesus, as we strive towards Jesus together. Lord, let it be so. Lord, don't let us Bring burden on those that encounter you, but Lord, help us to underpin them, to carry them, to push them towards you, Lord. We thank you that the landscape of this place will change, Lord God, as we don't let tradition affect our mission for you, Lord, whatever it is. So what I want to pray for this morning and we can bring the lights down just for a second. Actually, before we bring the lights down, sorry. And let's bring them up. And bring them down. No, I'm kidding. Not yet. Not yet. Can everybody close their eyes for a minute? This is, I just want to give the room privacy. I don't know if there's anybody in here this morning. But you've heard me talk about this Jesus that, that I so desperately want to represent. This Jesus that I know loves everybody no matter where they are at. This Jesus that can set anybody free. I don't know if you're in here this morning, but there's this burden in your heart that, that, that something is missing. I believe that it's a relationship with Jesus. You see, when I talked about justification earlier today, what that simply means is in Romans, which is another book of the Bible, it talks about how uh, we've all sinned. It means every person on this planet has done something wrong. And because of you've done something wrong, whether it's a lie or you cheated or an attitude or you've looked at something in the wrong way, whatever it is, it separates you from God because the Bible says God can't be around sin. But, but because now of sin, God couldn't be around you and He so desired a relationship with you. He sent His Son, Jesus, so that by Him dying on the cross, He took the punishment for my sin and your sin he took the punishment away and, and, and when you believe in Him, the Bible says that not only are your sins forgiven, but you become the righteousness of Christ. And because you're the righteousness of Christ, you're now in right standing with God. But it's very simple what you have to do. The Bible says you have to confess with your mouth that He is Lord. Believe in your heart that, that, that he, he rose again. Because you see, our Bible says that even though Jesus died on the cross for our sins, three days later, He rose again in victory. Believe in your heart that He rose again. It says that you will be saved. So with every eye closed across this place, is there anybody here this morning that wants a relationship with Jesus Christ, maybe for the first time or maybe coming back again? 
to say, I believe in you, Jesus. I want to be in right standing with God. There's something missing in my heart. A gap that only you can fill. If that's you this morning, I just want you to quickly wave at me so I can pray for you. Is there anybody in this place? Amen. Yep, pop your hand up. Praise God. So what I want to do, I just want to lead us in a prayer together. So if I'll say, if you talk after me, I'll say it, then you say it. Dear Heavenly Father, Jesus, I come to you now and ask that you would forgive me for my sins. I believe in you. I believe you rose again. I believe that you died so I could be forgiven. Please come into my life. Be my Lord and Saviour. Let me live for you. Be a part of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we just give the Lord a hand just for a minute? Now we'll bring the guys back. So this is now a, a challenge I'd like to put to our community, our family. You know, the Bible talks about first the, the, the physical and, and the natural and then the spiritual. And I believe in, in doing something in the natural to, to prophesy to your future that you are ready. So what I want to do this morning, it's nothing spectacular, but it can be something that God will do in your heart right now is that I believe and I declare and I prophesy that this place is going to have a flowing in of the broken and the hurting and the marginalised and we are going to love them. And we are going to push them towards and encourage them to strive after God. So what I want to do this morning is in your timing, When you're ready, I want you to stand. And when you stand, what you're declaring is, God, I'm ready to lead with love. God, I'm ready to love whoever you bring into this place. I won't compromise to who they are, but stand firm to the truth of the gospel. But Lord, I will love them for who they are. I will lead with love. So what we're going to do right now is, By standing, you declare that. Thank you, Lord. We're ready, Lord. With every hand raised, if you're able to do so and you're comfortable in this place, why don't you begin to pray, God, give me someone to love. Why don't you pray it out together? Make it the desire. Lord God, we are ready. Lord God, we want to serve you. We want to lead with love. And Lord God, we thank you, Lord God, that you have placed us in a community, Lord, with so many needs. Lord, there's so much domestic violence. Lord God, there's so much drug abuse. Lord God, there's so many people that are marginalised and isolated. Lord, we pray that as we stood today, you would give us an opportunity to love them, Lord God, to declare your truth, Lord God, so that they would know, despite of their situation, Lord, 
that there is a hope, that there is a God that loves them, that Lord God, a God in heaven sent us, Lord God, to have the opportunity to represent them in love, Lord. Lord, we pray that this place will be like a light on a hill in Matthew 5, 16, that the light in us, Lord God, which is you, it's not a reflection, Lord God, it is you coming out of our lives, that they will see the deeds and the spirit and the love that we carry, which is yours, and give you honour and glory, we pray. We are ready, Lord, to lead with love. We are ready, Lord. I just feel in my heart right now, why don't you begin to intercede for someone that you know? Intercede someone that needs love. That There may be someone that's depressed. There may be someone going through a divorce or a separation. There may be someone with a sick child. There may be someone who's feeling isolated, not loved, abandoned. Why don't you begin to intercede that God will make a way, Lord God, for them to come. God, we just pray so desperately from the bottom of our heart, Lord, that you would use us to love. Lord God, that there are people in our workplace, people in our street, people in our own families, Lord God, that need your love. Help us to represent you. Help us to love them, Lord God. We thank you. And right now we stand against depression. Right now we stand against isolation. Right now we stand against attitudes and we say be broken in the name of Jesus because we are coming. We thank you, Lord. You are our God. We declare it together in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Let's give the Lord a hand and would you take your seats just for a minute. Do you know, one of the ways that we have an opportunity in our community to reach people is going to be through the Hope Centre. I, I just see this bridge. I, I, I can see it formulating. I, our pastor has great vision for it. He's in Box Hill this morning preaching and, and carrying the service there. Uh, Cliff, the campus pastor, he's got the got influenza. But there is just a great excitement in, in, in vision in, in John Graham and Pastor Nick and myself and Greg and in our community that God didn't just give us that for us to do nothing with it. God has a purpose and a plan and it is to reach and influence our community. Now, wherever there is the vision of God, there is His provision. But often we are asked to be a part of that. God often gives you the opportunity to buy in to the blessing that is going to come through this place. So what we're going to do is the ushers are going to hand out some envelopes at the end of each aisle. They're just in a pile at the back. Now, what these are, if you guys are going to use them, I know a lot of people gave last week and thank you, but there were school holidays and there are a lot of people away. If you can write on this envelope, Hope Center, we want to give everybody an opportunity to buy into what God will do. So as those envelopes get passed down the aisle, So what this is going towards, it's going towards kidding out 
uh, the centre so that when people come in, they, they have the ability to be engaged. We all know that it's just it was just a shell. We now have a beautiful uh, multi-purpose uh, teaching room. Uh, it, it can be used as a small youth auditorium. Then there, there is a mums and bubs uh, room uh, for feeding. If we're going to use that, there's a kitchenette, uh, which is great. Then over to the warehouse, there's an incredible area that they want to uh, they want to carpet it. And what they want to do is be able to set up stalls for people to come in and engage with the programs that we run. It's going to be incredible. So what we're going to do is, if you're prepared to give today, thank you. I want to encourage you to do so. Do you know you can't outgive God? I can speak of testimonies in our own life of how we gave sacrificially and then God out of nowhere meets needs. Because, as Pastor Greg said this morning, it's actually not our money, it's all His. We get to steward it and we get an opportunity to give back. So let, let's pray this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that as our hearts are ready to receive, Lord God, and love those, Lord God, it's actually not about receiving them, Lord God, but it's actually about us pouring ourselves out of you in us, Lord God, back to them so that they can feel they have a home and, and they can feel, Lord God, that this is a genuine place of love and acceptance. So Lord, I pray that bless those that give faithfully this morning in this offering that goes towards Hope Centre and I pray that you will use it, you will stretch it make it effective for your kingdom we pray in Jesus name Amen. So the buckets are on the uh, left hand side I just want to encourage you to pass them along I think what we'll do is we'll get the band up just quickly for one last song, let's celebrate God is about to do something God is already doing something. We are having an incredible amount of people come into this community, want to engage. We're seeing first-time salvations. We're seeing people being restored to God and His purpose. He is already doing something in this place and He's about to do more. Amen. So why don't we stand together? do uh, the first song or the second, I don't mind. Can we just give the Lord another clap offering across this place? Just want to honour Dan and Jackie. They're doing an incredible job with the music team, the creative department. want to give honour to Sean Ruse. He's doing an incredible job with the coffee. He does a lot of things that are unseen. We want to honour you. Gerth, you're an incredible man, incredible man of God. You were created for the car park, man. You're like just a bear hugger kind of guy. We want to honour you as well. Thank you to everybody who continues to serve. We serve God and not man. We're going to love those that come into this place. Amen.
Am I living it? Do I live in it? So astounding. Love is an ocean, you can drown me. The sweet embrace, the lovely taste, I taste the sea. I'm under grace, the place to be. It means I'll never need an umbrella. I'm cool in the cold, in the hot weather. Whether or never I ever understand I'm a man in the hands of great plans. I stand with faith there in the life I never known to touch. And still I stop my clutch, but I'm like, what's the dream of? What's the hope in? What's the doubt for? Live to no end. This is living. The life I've been given is a gift. If I'm a living, I'm a living to death. So what's the dream of? What's the hope in? What's the doubt for? And live to no end. This is living. The life I've been given is a gift. If I'm a living, I'm a living to death. Yeah. Yeah. 